Well, at this time, uh, we have a pretty special guest with us today uh, preaching. As you know, we rent from North Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's crazy to think about, but we have been here for over eight years. Wild, right? Eight years. Anyone uh, a part of LifeSpring when we were at Hebron? Yeah, some of you are like, Hebron, what are you talking about? We used to be at a church, uh, it's a Korean church down in Fife. Anyone at LifeStream back when we were at a community center? Way back then. I, we're, this is 16 years ago. But then for the last half of LifeSpring, we have been able to be here at North Hill Adventist Church. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday night was phenomenal, by the way. Anyone enjoy Wednesday and Thursday night? Uh, wow, so good. But here's the miracle. Um, we don't own anything, right? We, and, and our lease says that we get to be here on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. And yet North Hill Adventists, guess what they did? They gave us Wednesday and Thursday nights so we could have an event here. Really, truly, church, they have been an incredible uh, blessing to us. And so our special guest is actually the pastor of North Hill Adventist. Would you please welcome with me to the stage Jesse Churchill. Look at that. There's even a switch and everything. Well, my name is Jesse Churchill. I am, yes, I'm the pastor of North Hill Adventist Fellowship, and, uh, and that's important. Adventist Fellowship, okay? They chose that on purpose, Dan, because we didn't want to be called a church because that's, I guess that's scary or something like that. So um, I'm just, I'm making a big deal out of that. North Hill Adventist Fellowship, I've been here for a year, um, and uh, it's been a, been a good year. I was a youth pastor before this over in Auburn, and uh, so I've been here for about a year, and I met Dan, and I just want to, can I brag on your pastor real quick and do that for you? Uh, Dan is, Dan is awesome. Dan is probably one of the most uh, um, real people that I've ever met, genuine people that I've ever met. Uh, he is, he is not as, he's, he's, uh, I think you're older than you look. I think so. I think, I think that's the way I want to say that. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, and uh, he is, he's been a mentor to me. He makes me feel smart when, I, when we talk. And uh, so we meet once a month, and it's just awesome to get to, get to know him. Um, he doesn't ever complain about you guys. Um, that's not true. I can't really say that. There's like the one time. I'm just kidding. I'm, now I'm going to get Dan in trouble. We, uh, we get to talk all the time, and so I really just enjoy it. I feel like I, I, feel like I, I kind of sort of know a little bit about this church uh, just because of those conversations with Dan. So I'm really excited to be here, and uh, thank you for having me. And we just want to say something, at least from North Hill, that we love you guys. You guys are awesome. You guys take care of this place. Uh, I, there's nothing but good stuff that I hear. And so we're just grateful that you guys are here. I'm glad that we get to share uh, in the mission of Christ together. Uh, so just thank you so much for, for being part of that. And um, today, I, I, am, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about something that probably we all have heard uh, about. And that's this verse in, in Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to start it, and you can all probably finish it with me. So, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven those who have 
sinned against us. I'm saying it completely different. I'm saying it, I'm, I'm meshing a bunch of translations together. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then it stops there. <laughs> it actually does. And this is, a, this is a weird part about Scripture, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Here's a bonus, bonus bit of information um, that will, might terrify some of us. But actually, that's where the, that's where the biblical text stops. Uh, we actually don't, like in, in the oldest manuscripts we have, it doesn't, go, it doesn't go into yours as the kingdom, power, and glory forever. And that's okay, because what, what uh, later on Christians did is they had this saying, they would say every, every time after prayers, and it was that, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And they added that on, and that's not a bad add-on. We're not complaining about that. But it's really interesting, because what Jesus says, it ends on the lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this whole, this whole prayer is really interesting to me because uh, the, as we go through it, you start to see this, this, this form that God gives to us. He says, hey, listen, I want, you to, I want you to pray in this way. Uh, and we're going to get into that a little bit. But um, we I just want to talk about just the first line today. We're not even going to talk about the rest of that. Just the first line, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So let's talk about that today and uh, let's pray real quick and we'll get into that. So Lord, just thank you so much for this opportunity to be here at LifeSpring. Thank you so much for what you are doing here in Edgewood and Fife and Milton. We thank you so much that you are God who loves us, who cares about us. We thank you so much that you are in this place today with us. And I just pray that your spirit would make connections that I cannot make. Let your words speak through me and uh, just be in this place in a very tangible way today. In your name, amen. amen. Um, I am, I'm only 24. Um, and, uh, and I say only 24 because uh, most people are like, oh, you're 24 and you're a pastor. Um, and yeah, so I'm 24. But I'll just tell you something now. After getting out of college, uh, I found something, and it's that making friends as an adult is difficult. Am I right? For, for a lot of us, when you go to, when you go to high school, well, actually, when you start in school through like the end of college, there's some people that you may go through the entirety of, of, your, of your early years with, right? There's some people that you went to elementary school together, you went to high school together, you went to, you went to college together, and now you still happen to live near each other, right? And that's, that's awesome. Well, there's, there's other people who is like, oh, I knew them in, in, in elementary school, and we went to school every single day, right? And so, of course, you were friends. You were literally with each other every single moment of every single day. Of course, you're friends. You get to high school, kind of the same thing. College, you start to meet people, especially in college, who, who, uh, who become very concrete, real friends that can last for the rest of your life. But then you get out of there, and for a lot of us, you know, you go to college, and then you, you scatter, you know, all of a sudden I'm here, but almost uh, all of the people that I went to college with are now down in like California. Uh, it's just me. I'm all alone. And I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but it is, it's like, it's really interesting. The people that you, that you interact with for all of these years are all of a sudden gone. And so now you're an adult. Now you're, okay, how do I make friends? I forgot how to make friends. Because now you're not with people every single day, right? You have work friends, but even some of your work friends, you're like, I see you every day. I don't want to see you on the weekends, Right? <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, you get home and, and you're like, well, I could go hiking with those people or I could sleep. You know, that, there's, this is sleep wins. Uh, that's how it generally goes in my life. Um, you have family now, right? You have family that you need to pay attention to, uh, that you care deeply about, that are going to be with you for the rest of your life. And so you have to, you have to pay very close attention to your family. You have uh, work and all this stuff that gets in the way of being able to make friends easily. And not only that, now you're, now you're not just seeing people every day, so you're with people every day, and it's like, okay, we just start to get to know each other. Now you have to make like concerted efforts to actually try to be friends. 
And this is where it gets weird, because as I look at my friendships through high school, it's, I just happen to be friends with them. I don't know how it started. I don't know how it happened. It just happened, right? Now it's like, hi, what do you like to do? <laughs> you have to start asking questions. You have to start making effort to like be with people. And, and it becomes difficult, because not only do you have to want to be friends with them, they have to want to be friends with you too, right? So if, if you don't have the same interests, if you don't have the same uh, ideas of life, whatever, it all of a sudden starts to become difficult to, 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 to form lasting friendships, right? And I say this all knowing that friendship is, is awesome. We have all made friends in, this, in, 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 in our context, wherever it is, but it can be very difficult. And as we go through this, it, it's, it's funny. Friendship is actually really simple. I mean, if we, if we think about it, you're a person, I'm a person, let's spend time together. That's, that's what it is. And we all want that. We all want meaningful relationships, and we want them even if we know it's going to be difficult to start them, right? Well, like, we still want them. That's why you have, that's why you have, like, singles meetups, right? Where it's like, this is probably going to be awkward if I go to it. I'm married, but, like, if, if, if you go to it, and you're like, this is probably going to be awkward if I go to it, but I'm going to do it because I want companionship. It's, we want meaningful relationships in our lives, and we're willing to go through the difficulty to get there, but we know it's difficult. And I, I want to ask the question today, why do we so often feel like our relationship with God is going to be easy if our relationship, forming relationships with other people is so difficult? And often I feel like when I pray, when I, when I go to God, when I'm like, okay, I need to start this relationship, I just kind of feel like all the pieces are going to fall into place, Right? But then you actually get there and you realize, I haven't prayed in like five months. Right. Now what do I say? Um, I'm going through something right now that I'm actually kind of mad at you, God, even though we haven't talked about it. So I don't really know what to say without yelling at you. Um, I, I feel like, like sometimes we pray and uh, we, we say stuff and we just don't know exactly what to say. So we end up kind of saying, dear God, uh, thank you so much for this day. Uh, I'm so glad that you're, uh, uh, you know, that it's beautiful out. Um, help me at work. Cool. <laughs> you know, see you tomorrow. <laughs> and so, like, we kind of end up praying like that, uh, and, and it can be very difficult. And what I love about Jesus, though, is Jesus is the kind of God that decides, okay, you don't know how to do it, so let me teach you how to do it. Instead of just making us figure it out, he's like, maybe I should teach you, right? And it's, it's counterintuitive. It, it, this happens in marriage. I remember early on in our, in, our, in our marriage, my wife and I, my wife was like, um, I was like, honey, tell me how to love you better. And she's like, you sh I shouldn't have to tell you, you should just do it, right? <laughs> it's like a genuine frustration, right? But, but God, and my, we don't do that, but, but, my, but my God sometimes feels like he's going to do that to me, right? You can't figure it out, so uh, you're not doing it, just figure it out. But then we realize that the kind of God that Jesus is is not that type of God. Figure it out. He's, he says, actually, let me teach you how to do it. So we get to this place in Matthew 6, and you can turn there. We'll be there the whole time today. Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is in the middle of what we call the Beatitudes, or the Sermon on the Mount. So he's teaching these people. It's this incredible sermon where he just, he's blowing people's minds, just completely demolishing their, their previous constructs and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, he takes this moment like, let me just teach you how to pray. It's right in the middle of it. And so right before this, what we see in Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 5, we're going to read 5 through uh, verse 8. And this is what he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who, is, who, uh, who sees you in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And I'm going to stop there real quick. Um, 
what the Jews would do is they actually built up over time these books of prayer with really good intention, right? Let's pray well. Like, let's talk to God well. Let's, let's do this as well as possible. But what often happens with form and tradition is that it becomes just that, form and tradition, right? Where all of a sudden I'm praying something and it literally means nothing to me, Right? And so they did this over and over and over again, and they would recite some of these things three times a day. And not only that, you had these, these religious leaders who decided, let me just pray in public, because if I pray in public, people will see how pious and holy I am, right? The modern-day equivalent to that is sometimes we see some horrible thing happen, and we go and we're like, social justice is a thing we need to, we need to be, be passionate about as, as human beings, especially in the modern world. Right? So we see something happen, and so we post on Facebook about it, and we're like, look at me, I'm pious and holy. And we're not really intending that, but that's what we are intending. Right? We're, not, we're not trying to outwardly do that. But we do it sometimes because I should be mad about it, so I guess I'll talk about it. And that's the modern equivalent of it, where we do something in public because it's the right thing to do, and because it makes us look better than we actually are. Because we're not, are, are we actually doing anything about the event? No. But we're, we're, we're talking about it, so I'm doing something about it. And that's what these people and the religious leaders were doing. They were saying, let me pray. Let me just talk to God and say all these things and, and be wonderfully religious. And Jesus is like, listen, the reward that they have gotten, that people think they're religious and holy, they got it. That's fine, but that's all they're getting. They're not getting anything else. And he says, pray in secret, because then your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Meaning that when you pray and you actually have a, a, a connection, like an actual connection, not just something I'm showing off for everybody, when you have an actual connection, it actually connects you to the God who can actually do something, right? But then uh, it says in verse 7, it says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Uh, and do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him what happened in, in, in Gentile worship. And so outside of Jewish, the Jewish culture, is a lot of times you have these people who are repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating. If you remember, you go back to uh, Mount Carmel, where Elijah is, right? And, and you have these prophets of Baal, and they're just killing themselves and cutting themselves and repeating all these phrases, hoping that at some point their God answers them. And that type of stuff was still happening, maybe not in that same way of self-mutilation, but there was still happening in, 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 uh, in these temples and stuff. And, God, and Jesus is like, listen, I already know. I already know what you need. I already know, so why are you repeating it a bunch? I already know, and I'm going to provide for you. And so this is where he gets to, to verse 9, and this is what he says. Pray then like this. And if Jesus says that, then maybe I should listen. <laughs> Pray then like this. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he continues through the rest of it. But the reason I want to focus on this first sentence, just the first sentence, is because what I feel like Jesus is doing when he, when he says this is he is he is doing something that, that causes us, when we pray, to put ourselves in the right place in the context of our relationship with God. So when we pray this line, we're kind of putting ourselves back in the place we're supposed to be. Because what often happens in our life, and we'll talk about this as we, as we go through this, is that we often get misplaced. All of a sudden, I think I should be in, in charge of this and in control of this, and maybe this is my responsibility rather than God's. And what this does in this moment, when we pray this, and as we walk through this knowing what it really means, it puts us back where we're supposed to be. And so that's why I want to talk about it today. And so let's go into this. There's, just, there's, these three, there's three specific areas. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this first one, Father, um, I love this. Because when you think of God, it could just be this, God is this spirit, God is this power, God is this light, God is this deity, whatever he is. 
But what, when I say the word Father in relation to God, it puts God into like this tangible expression, right? If I can actually think about God as a father. I mean, we have fathers on this earth, and the unfortunate part of this is for a lot of us, maybe we haven't had the greatest fathers on this earth, but at least we can picture a father. We know what a good father should look like. And so when I think about God, I'm like, man, God is father. God is my father. I can start thinking about him that way. And what it starts to do is that it starts to, it starts to make me realize something, that if God is my father, then he genuinely wants the best for me. He genuinely wants to do things for me as long as it's good for me. Does that make sense? Like, you look at an earthly father today, and again, like, we all haven't had the best experiences of fathers, but you can think about a good father and what, it would, what, what a good father would look like, and maybe you have had a good father, and you can think about how good your dad is, but a good father will always want to, or at least if at all possible, provide all of the needs for their children, provide for all of the needs for their children, right? You're gonna, as a father, you're going to want to provide food and shelter and warmth and clothing and all that stuff as, as much as you were able to do right? That's what a good father does. My favorite part of of, of what a good father would do is the second part, that sometimes a good father will just do things just because it brings joy to their kids, right? How many of you have ever been the recipient of a, don't tell mom, we're going to ice cream? How many of you ever been the recipient of that? I have, and it's amazing, right? And, and, And why, though? It doesn't do anything for your dad. It's just he gets to see, when he, when you lick that ice cream, it's like, that's, that's, that's a look of joy, right? And that's just amazing, because it's just, it, it doesn't, it, it, there's no purpose to that except for giving joy to their kid. Then there's the third one, and this one's a little bit tougher, and it's a good father knows when no is necessary. And this is the one that is always tough for us as kids, because I'm like, I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want you to say no, I do want to go over to my friend's house, and I want to do it now. But when dad says no, well, dad, that's dumb, that's stupid, I hate when you do that, right? You have like this visceral reaction to, I hate it when you say no. But a good father knows that sometimes no is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. If we see a good father would be like that, why would God be any different? When we look at God as father, we see this God who wants to provide for all of our needs. He says, literally, I will provide for all of your needs. He says that you don't have to worry about tomorrow. You look at the birds of the field, and, and all of these, they don't store up, they don't gather, they don't do anything because their heavenly father feeds them. Look at the, the flowers of the, of the field. They don't clothe themselves because their heavenly father has clothed them. So you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself because you have a God who's going to provide for your needs. And that's, that's powerful, and it's simple, and it's cliche, and yet it is so reassuring. But then the second part, again, is my favorite, that God, as Father, will sometimes just do stuff for us just because it's great, just because He wants to bring joy to our lives. My wife and I were in Maui uh, for our honeymoon, and there's this, uh, there's this mountain on Maui, and it's called Haleakala, or Halekalea, that's what it is, Halekalea. And uh, it's, it's this 10,000 foot tall mountain uh, on Maui, and we were driving up it. And we weren't going to be going up there anytime soon. We, we, we went up there, we weren't going to go back anytime soon. I mean, when am I going to be back to Maui? I'm a pastor, I'm poor. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's like, when are we going to be back here? So we, we go up there, and when we get up to the top, this cloud uh, formation had moved in. And so it was all covered. And so we're standing there at the edge of this crater, and we can't see a thing. We just see clouds. And... Um, I remember sitting there because I, I knew it was supposed to be beautiful. And I was just like, God, this literally, what I'm about to pray does not matter in the grand scheme of things. I don't, I, I don't, if you don't do anything about it, that's okay. I'm just gonna, I might, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Cool. 
you know, I'm just like pre, pre, uh, pre oh, what is the word for that? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, to make sure that this is okay, God. You don't have to answer this. And I was just like, God, listen, I would just love to be able to see this thing. It would be really cool if we could see this thing. And I kid you not, within two or three minutes, the clouds kind of parted away from the crater. They didn't part from the sky, but all of a sudden we could see the crater, and it was beautiful. I mean, it's such a crazy landscape. It was like brown and gray, and, and there was like green out there and red. It was just, the, it was so beautiful. And in seven and eight minutes after that, you know, the clouds kind of set back in. And I just remember sitting there kind of blown away. I was like, God, you literally didn't have to do a thing. Like, there are so many more important things, and yet you would, you would just do this for me. You would just do it for me. <laughs> I still think about that. I'm just like, he's a good dad. And then there's the other part, and this is the harder part, and I don't like this part, because God doesn't usually do it like that. Like, like he doesn't usually part the clouds like that, just, just for the heck of it. A lot of the time, God has to say no, because what I want to do is very different than what's going to be good for me, right? And so sometimes God has to say no because it's necessary, because what I'm asking for would cause me damage. What, what, I'm, what I'm thinking about doing, where I'm headed, is going to cause me damage. And if he said yes, it wouldn't really be loving, and so he has to say no. But what, I, what, what this does for me, when I start to think of God as Father, then I can start to believe and have faith in, in one very specific thing. That everything that God does in my life, whether it's he's actually doing something or he's saying no or he's, or he's just saying wait, whatever it is, it's done with overwhelming and amazing love. Like that's, that's what initiates, that's, that's the, the whole reason he's doing it is because he loves me so intensely that he would do it for me. And I can have faith in that. I can believe that. I can, I can you know, there, there's times in our lives where we're praying where we're just like, God, why won't you do this? Why won't you make this happen? But what we can have faith in even in the hardest, most unreasonable circumstances, we can have faith in the fact that God loves me so much that every action in this moment is motivated out of His incredible love for me. I can have faith in that. But beyond that, what I love about what God is doing here is that um, what He's doing is He's saying, listen, kid, stop trying to be dad for your own life. This is where I mean, where, where what God is doing here, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's putting us in a rightful place, is that when he says our Father, what he's, what he's in essence saying is that you don't have to be dad for your own life. I don't have to be the one trying to provide. I don't have to be the one trying, to, trying to, to make my own decisions and trying to figure out my own way. I don't have to do any of that. I don't have to be the one who, who's responsible for my, the entirety of my life because I have a dad. And maybe some of you in this room have experienced fatherlessness and you know that you have to kind of pick yourself up and make stuff happen and guide your life. And yet, what God is saying is you don't have to live like that because you have a dad, you have a father who loves you, who wants to provide for you, who wants to just do stuff for you because he loves you, but also wants to guide you in the right way and so will say no when necessary. And that's powerful. Our Father, God is my Father, and I'm His kid. And I can rest in that. Like, think about it. It takes a weight off of me. I don't have to be all of that. That I can just rest and have faith and, and trust. That's amazing. The next, the next line is, our Father in heaven. 
And what in heaven does, when, when, when Jesus says in heaven, he's establishing something uh, of a different plane. Because what we see here is we have this father who loves us so intensely. And, and, and if you were a father in this room, you know that you love your children so much, but you're also limited. Right? You're also limited. As much as you don't want to admit it, you're limited. You're limited. I, I love my child so much that I want to heal their pain, and yet you can't. I love my child so much that I want to get them into the best college in the entire wor- world, but I don't, I, don't, I, I don't work that kind of job, right? You know, I'm limited. I'm limited. And what, what we have here is we have, this, we, we have this setup thing where it says our Father, someone who loves us intensely and overwhelmingly and all of this stuff, and yet He's not just a Father who's next to us and who's human. He's our Father who is in heaven. Back in the, in the Vietnam War, something started that was uh, kind of a new thing. For a long time, uh, people had used airplanes as reconnaissance, uh, as, like to take photos so that you could come back with a photo. We could say, hey, this is what's, this was happening on the battlefield, uh, and we could make decisions based off of that, right? Well, the problem is, is that almost always that's after the fact, right? Someone flies over, takes a, takes a photo, they come back two hours later after it's developed, then it gets to the right person. So like five hours later, it's finally in the right hands, and now we're starting to make plans. What started to happen in Vietnam is they did this thing called forward air controllers. And so you have these guys flying around in, uh, in, in planes that would look like they would just fly out of some private airfield here. They'd be flying around, and they would have a radio in them, and they could make calls from the air. Because now they're up above everything and they're looking down and they're saying, hey, listen, listen here's, the, here's the big picture. If you're a soldier on the ground, all you can see is what is in front of you. You only have this limited viewpoint where now if you make decisions, hey, look, the enemy is gone. How about we all move forward? Now you leave a gaping hole in the line and guess what? The whole battle's lost. Because you can only see what's directly in front of you. But we have a God who has a completely different perspective than we do. We have a God who has a completely different ability to affect everything than we do. And what we often do is we're like, our Father, who happens to also be on earth and doesn't know as much as I do, I know just what I need for my life. I know exactly where I'm going to be going. I know exactly where to get in five years. You don't need to have a part in it, God. And then what we realize is that we've made a decision based on what is directly in front of us, what is affecting us for the, for the moment, and yet we have this God who sees the, the big picture. He has not only the perspective, but also the power to do something about it. I don't have either of those things. I don't have the perspective, and I definitely don't have the power. Just sit here and think for a moment. How, like, I've often thought about how our lives are just, like, just say that like our lives are a line, like a cable. And then, you know, you have the person next to you who's also got their, their line, their cable. And then we, you know, you interact, right? And so we cross over there. And then there's this person over here you cross over with. And, and this person you're crossing over with. And this person over here from like China that you happen to meet and all this stuff. And all of a sudden you start looking at the world and it's like a tangled mess of, of, of just lines everywhere. Of people interacting, of, of this happening, of this event occurring in this person's life that also affects this person's life. And I, I can barely, I can barely get a hold of my own life. 
And yet we have a God who is somehow seeing everything coalesce. He's seeing how this person is going to be, is going to be in this position and can help you do this. How this, this job is going to be vacant in three years. And you're going to have to wait three years to have a job. But guess what? It's coming for you. I know when it's coming for you. In the moment, you have to have faith and believe I have the perspective and the power to, to, to do it for you when, it comes, when the time comes. Like you have to believe that. I don't know how God does it. <laughs> But he does it. And so when I say our Father, I'm saying I have a God whose, whose motivation for me is out of love. But then when I say in heaven, I'm saying not only is, does he love and he has a motivation of love, he also has the power and the perspective to make that a reality. Our Father in heaven. And what that does, I'm just going to say this too, this takes the weight off of me because now I don't have to, again, make these decisions that might backfire in my face in like two months because I only had this limited bit of information to make the decision based off of. And so God's in heaven, and I'm not, and I can rest in that. Like it takes weight off of me. Not only do I not have to be my, my father, I also don't have to be the one who's making all of it happen. And so I can step back and rest in that. And then we come to the last uh, the last part of this first line, hallowed be your name. And hallowed is a word uh, I don't think I've heard used in like 80 years. And I'm not even 80. So, I mean, I don't know how, but it's just not a word that we use anymore. Hallowed. Uh, what it means is, is holy. So, our Father in heaven, let your name be holy. Let your name be holy. And this one's harder because holiness is something that we don't, I don't think we fully understand as a culture. It's, it's not something that we get. We see it in, in the Old Testament constantly. We see it throughout the New Testament as well, but especially in the Old Testament, like there's this holy God, this very holy God. What does that mean? Like, how does that actually affect my life? God is holy. Well, the, the, the reality of what holy is, the word in Greek is hagiazo, um, and it means different or separate or distinct, but it always means in, in, the, upward, in the upward direction, right? I'm not saying that my dog is holy, right? I'm not, I'm not ever going to say my, my dog is set apart from me in a way better way, right? But I will say that, that there, are, there are leaders and pastors who are much better at being pastors than I am, and they're set apart and distinct in their talents and gifts. Now, I'm not trying to call them holy, but you see how we, set it, we say it in the upward direction. Someone is better than I am, and yet when we come to this God, we come to God, all of a sudden, we're looking at this God who literally doesn't make sense to us. I just want you to imagine this in your head. You never began. Okay? Now, put your mind back together. Try to figure that out. That doesn't make any sense to me. A God that never began. There is no beginning point for him. There is no ending point for him. He just is. And all of a sudden, we have to realize Whoa, we're on a completely different, like if, if, if we have our Father who is already above us, and then we have, He's in heaven, and then we have, He's holy, and it's like through the roof at 80 miles up, and I don't know what, I don't know how to comprehend it. But He's separate and distinct and completely different than me in the most amazing ways. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the book Chronicles of Narnia or ever watched the movie, um, but The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is an incredible, incredible book. It's an incredible movie, and when you watch it, you see that God is represented as this lion, this lion named Aslan, right? And this lion, he, uh, he, he, no one fully understands him, but everyone's kind of in awe of him. 
And there's this line where, where these kids are going to go meet him, and they're like, I'm kind of afraid of meeting a lion. Is he, is he quite safe? And someone replies to them, safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. Okay, that's a whole other thing we could talk about. But the fact that God isn't safe is something that we don't talk about very much. Because we talk about God's love, which is absolutely what we should be talking about, but we, we all of a sudden forget, to re- we forget that, that God isn't safe. If God comes around my life, all of a sudden stuff starts getting stripped away, and all of a sudden my life starts looking a little bit different than it used to, just by God's presence around me. That God's presence in my life is actually terrifying because of what it means for my life. There's another line in that book where uh, at the end of the story, all of this crazy stuff has happened, and then Aslan, he leaves. And one of the, one of the kids is just like, oh, is, is he ever going to come back? And someone replies, yeah, he comes when he please. He comes and he goes, but it's all his choice. He's wild. He's not a tame lion. And that, just, that also, is, I could talk about that for days, but, but the reality is that I can't control God. There is no part of me that can control him. What I can do is I can control my life, and I can, I can put it in a box and say, you can't have it, God, but I can't control. If I, lev- if I leave it up to him, I can't control it. There is nothing about this God that I have control over. He's holy. He's separate and distinct and powerful on a plane I can't even get close to. And when I say holy is your name, I'm saying, God, let you... Let me, let me look at you as distinct and different. Because often what, what I will do is when I say God is my Father, all of a sudden He comes, becomes very close and, and very loving and very awesome. And, he, and He's this great guy. But when I forget the power and the immensity of who God is, I've all of a sudden tamed God. I've made Him tame. And He's just there. You know, he, He's great. He's cuddly. He does some really cool stuff. But, but I, I, I lose the immensity of God and this insane God that yet, though he is this crazy huge God, would yet be close to me. And what it does is it takes off this weight. I don't have to be God for my own life. I don't have to be God. God can be God. I'm going to let him be God. God, let, let your name be holy. Let me just, let, you can be God. You can stay that way. You can just, you can be God. I don't need to be God. Now, let me just show you what, what Jesus does in this. This is so cool. Jesus starts off and he says, you're going to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Our Father, he's close. He starts off so close and so amazingly loving and so awesome. But then he says, our Father in heaven. And he takes, he takes God to a different, different plane, a different perspective, a different power than us. But then he goes, holy is your name. And all of a sudden, it just blows us out of the water. We can't even imagine what that, that even means. And yet God is holy and amazing and powerful. And yet what we often do as Christians is we switch it the opposite direction. And what we feel, and actually, let me, let me just say this differently. What we often do as humans is that we feel like God is super far away. We feel like he's really far out there, you know, that he doesn't necessarily care about us. He says he is, he does, but sometimes I struggle with that. He says he does care about us, and okay, cool, but then, but then all of a sudden, Jesus switches it. He says, he's actually close. He's here. He's right next to you. He's your father who loves you, who wants to take care of you, and then he's 
in power, and then he's holy. What I want to challenge you today with as we end this is that God, if we think about him in this opposite direction, guess what we start to do? If God is distant and far away, we start to take the role of God for our own life. We start to try and be our father. We start to try and make, use our perspective and our power to make things happen. We start to believe that we need to be the God of our life and control it and figure out which direction is going to go, what decisions I'm going to make, all of this stuff. And yet what Jesus does is he switches it and he says, if you have a father first who also is powerful and holy, then you can rest. And I want to challenge you with that. I want to challenge you with rest. With rest. Rest is something we don't do in our culture because it's just hectic and crazy. But Jesus wants to do something for you. When you pray, I want you to pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. I want you to rest in the fact that he is taking every single one of those roles away from you. And that's okay. You don't have to be your own dad. You don't have to be the, God, the, 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 the person with the power and the perspective. You don't have to be God. You can be a child. You can live here on earth. And you can be human. And that's okay. Because you can trust. Let's pray. Lord, God, I, I, I don't rest like I should. I take naps and I sleep at night, but I don't rest like I should. I don't rest in your, in your love. I don't rest in your power, in your perspective. I don't rest in your, your terrifying nature that yet is so good. I don't rest in any of it because so often it's so much easier to just see the path that I have in front of me, the path that I need to take. Nobody else is going to do it for me. But God, I want to believe today and I, I want to challenge us to believe today in a God who is next to us a father who is next to us, who is, who is taking care of us like a little child. You're a God who I can, I can just put my hand up in the air and you'll hold it and you'll take me through the oceans that are, that are raging around me. You will take me through the flood. You'll take me through the fire. You'll do all of these things because you're my dad. And you also have the power and the perspective to guide me in the right direction. But Lord, you are also holy distinct, separate, different than I am. And let me hold you in that. Let me not believe for a second that you are tame. Let me not believe for a second that you are safe, but let me believe for sure that you are good and loving and caring. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.